Welcome, welcome, everyone, to this episode of Taking It to the Bridge. Avopaz Taking It to the Bridge, where we're both some 50-year-old something, man, because I'm 50-something. And I'm 50-something. And I think between the two of us... We know a little something. We know just a little something. So hopefully something will get passed on to you. We are honored today to have our guest on, Mike. Kevin Lambert, Dr. Kevin Lambert. Dr. Kevin Lambert. I read through his, uh, his bio. It took me about five minutes. Right. He's got a lot of stuff on there, man, and it's great. And even even I was I was reading it in front of my uh, my daughter, and she's a psychology uh, degree holder right. from LSU now. She was like, "Wow, yeah." She's like, "Wow, impressive." Cool. It's very very impressive. So we have Doctor Kevin Lambert on the show with us today, especially in the midst of Mental Health Awareness Month. We thought this would be a good opportunity. Uh, Doctor Kevin Lambert is a Texas licensed psychologist with a sincere passion for developing others and fostering healthier and happier relationships. He holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from Illinois State University, a MA and a psychology doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Spalding University School of Professional Psychology. He also received his MBA degree from SMU's Cox School of Business, where he was recognized as a distinguished business leader and member of the Dean Circle. Dr. Lambert is the founder of Great Life Counseling Center and his unique style of intervention has been described by clients as genuine, warm, respectful, innovative, fun, enlightening, and appropriately challenging. It's great to have him on. Dr. Lambert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you on here, sir. I really do, really do feel it's an honor, uh, especially in the midst of, as I, as I mentioned, Mental Health Awareness Month. So I know we're ready to start pummeling you with questions. I hope you had your coffee. We are going to jump right in here. All right. So, Kevin, uh, again, thank you for joining us today. Um, we hear this all the time. Historically, the black community hasn't really embraced counseling and therapy. And instead, we have kind of used or turned to the church to help us cope with mental and emotional issues. But here recently, we hear that there has been a shift and we don't know if it's due to the pandemic right. or generational changes, but it seems we are now embracing those services more, especially amongst younger people, millennials and Gen Z. So my question is, during that, and during that same period, the church's attendance has been decreasing. And I, I get, got me to thinking, is there a correlation between decreased church attendance and 
more acceptance of counseling services in the black community, uh, especially among the younger generation. And is counseling and therapy and all of that, in your opinion, is that becoming the new sanctuary, I would, if you want to call it that, for the younger generations? Well, you know, I would say that, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say, you know, short answer, I wouldn't say that they're, they're related because I think that a lot of the attendance is more due to the pandemic and technology. Um, and I'll, I'll explain that in regards to like, I think that the trends that we've seen in the church, the challenge that we've had is that the church, especially if you're talking about Gen Zers, but I think even just for us, uh, a season, <laughs> you know, you youngster. It's a little bit, you know, it's a matter of convenience. Um, if I can do, you know, TV church has been trending. You know, my man Joel Osteen. That's how he's, you know, made extra bread. You know, in terms of beyond his big stadium uh, church, he's got people that follow him all over the country because they just can, you know, turn on the TV and watch him that in the morning and. Um, and there's so many other, you know, great just speakers, you know, and pastors um, just being able to project their personalities over the screen. Um, and so people have gotten more and more accustomed to just wanting that access and wanting that convenience. Um, but then you add to that the pandemic, which has made it where the church doors have essentially had to be closed for right. the most part. Um, and not all pastors and all preachers have been able to um, do that as effectively as, as, um, as others. And so that also has deeply impacted. And now what we've also seen as a result, you know, and it's been good for my business, you know, to a large extent is just the people being isolated and at home has also caused them to reconsider their position possibly on, you know, uh, seeking mental health services and seeking support. I've had a lot of uh, um, not just Gen Zers, but even those of the seasoned generations. Uh, <laughs> I like how he keeps trying to avoid insulting us right. by saying seasoned. Right. You can call us old. It's okay. 50 something. It's okay. <laughs> you know, just I've had a lot of my older clients reaching back out and saying, like, you know, this has been rough and I need a point of contact. I need, I need somebody to talk to. And, um, you know, marriages have been challenged and, you know, kids, you know, parents with dealing with kids at home from school and um, trying to homeschool. And mm. I'll tell you, man, my wife and I, we were like, you know, we ain't set up this way. <laughs> you know, uh, she's got a career. I got a career like, you know, these kids like. I need you to help me with my geometry and my English and that new math. Uh, like we set up for that. So, <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, that, that, you know, just making some of those hard decisions and, and all that comes with, you know, I mean, you have a, they call it the racial pandemic right now. Mm. So you have all of the different things that have also been going on on top of that, that I think that has been pushing people to, seek refuge in therapy from the standpoint of wanting some support and guidance. Um, 
And, and I don't think that the Sunday sermon is always going to address that well enough for, for the individual or even for the family all the time, you know, and, and you also have different pastors in terms of how much they're willing to like really go in on that right? in terms of being provide the practical, you know, I, I, I kind of see a lot of my work as kind of very pastoral in nature. Um, I consider it a, a pastoral ministry in the sense that we are doing soul care mm-hmm. um, and we're trying to help people to walk out their faith right. um, versus being preached to. Um, they're, they're, they're coming to us with their theology, with their um, notions of who God is and who he isn't and, and what this means and trying to sort of figure stuff out. Right. And, um, just to have somebody to, to first and foremost, to hear them and, and, and for make sure that they're heard and supported, but then also to challenge them, um, to, uh, to reconsider their position when it's not healthy. Right. So let me ask you this because you brought up two things that, uh, were actually individual questions that I had, but I'm going to put them together. Um, you brought up race and you brought up the pandemic. Now, I read the interesting um, chapter in a book called The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. I forget the author's name right now. Um, and where it talked about phobias. And it talked about how blacks tend, there's studies that show that blacks tend to have more phobias. Um, and that could be generational. Um, but during this pandemic, would that be something that you you may have seen? Is it was there an uptick in in you know in minority clients for you or the specific things that are affecting people? I think being a minority, I, I tend to attract more minorities to want somebody that looks like them that they feel like can relate and mm-hmm. like know, you know. So, I, uh, but I, I mean, in my center is a, my team is a very diverse team. We have, um, you know, different docs of, of, of different backgrounds and racial, racial, sexual orientation, everything. Right. So we have a very diverse team. Um, and so, and, and the goal behind that is to basically offer something for everybody right. where we've got, in addition to clinical expertise, um, top-notch clinical expertise, but we also have people that on a personal level, I can relate to what it's like um, to be dealing with some of those real-life things to sort of hopefully create a more genuine and authentic connection. Um, but I, I would say um, the racial pandemic has probably encouraged, um, it's probably created a, a, an uptick in regards to people of color seeking services because they're being charged um, and triggered by the things that they're seeing in the media. Right. Right. Um, The impact of COVID impacting people of color much more than, than non, you know, non um, like white folks. And you know what I mean? So, so the, the, the fear um, or a better, better term, I would say the anxiety, around these things is, is valid. It's definitely not, you know, coming from nowhere. Um, I think if you also think about in terms of, um, the statistic that you were talking about with, the increase, like more phobias among black folks, um, or people of color, 
makes sense to me um, when I can when I take it into the context of history mm-hmm. and some of the things that we've experienced, the traumas that we've experienced, the traumas that we hear from the stories from our ancestors um, or elders, if you will, that have been passed down and um, give us reason to want to be very cautious and, um, you know, just very leery of that we take. it also kind of makes me proud, though, that in spite of all of those things that we continue to push forward and continue right. to try to be better. Um, it, that to me, whenever I see accomplishments and barriers broken, like uh, like our vice president, I mean, it's like, like, man, like we just keep doing it, like <laughs> keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Keep breaking barriers, like despite all of that, like we keep doing it. Right. Right. And I have two daughters, so. You know, you can say anything you want about her past, you know, her past achievements or whatever. But just having a woman um, that close to the presidency, influential woman, black woman that close to the presidency, right. having two daughters. That's a, that's a, that was a proud moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kevin. Um, daughters, too. So I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> Ken and I both know you. We actually all attend the same church. Uh, I'm not going to name the church, but. <laughs> We do attend the same church. Um, so knowing that you are a man of faith, is your is your uh, practice openly Christian, or is that something that, upon request, you can cater your therapy to that person if that's something that they're seeking? Yes. So the latter, more so. Um, so. Um, we, you know, obviously I'm, I'm the, I'm the owner, I'm the leader. Um, and so everything that I do and everything that I, uh, create is, is done, you know, um, you know, based on the inspiration and based upon, you know, the integrity that I feel that God would want me to have. Um, and, you know, we, we hire people first and foremost, uh, we're, a um, we're a family practice. So our mission is to serve families, to, to help them to live healthier, happier lives. And, um, and we, we work with a lot of individuals in, in lieu of that pursuit. Um, so our secondary kind of specialty is dealing with trauma. And so I, we also are a group of psychologists um, for the most part, all but one of all but one, or maybe even like some of the practicum students, you know, they're pursuing a doctorate degree, but they don't have it just yet. Um, but we, our identity is being a group of psychologists. So, so I, when I go to hire someone, I'm looking for someone who has a doctorate degree or is in pursuit of a doctorate. Um, and then I'm looking for someone that has a interest in specialty in working with couples or kids um so that they can help serve the mission of us as a team trying to serve families and create a one-stop shop for 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 families to be able to come and get those needs met um and it's always nice when i learn that they are um christian or you know and a believer um personally that's always nice to have i do have members of my team that do profess christ um, and I have a, a few that don't, um, 
you know, that have different belief systems. I would say the majority of them do, but, um, you know, but I don't, you know, not hire because right. of that. I, you know, um, and I, because I think that we have other members of the community. I actually, one of my specialties is working with clergy and I work with, um, faith leaders, um, rabbis and, um, you know, people of different faiths. Um, and that's, that's a work I really enjoy just, just connecting, um, on just being people of faith. Right. Um, right. There's a, a common thread and a kind of a code, like that moral code that we share. That's fun to explore and talk about. Right. So, so when people come to us, you know, if they express that that's something that's important to them, um, I will try to connect them with someone who shares that lens because it's also language too. So a lot of times if I get someone from our church, um, I'm going to put them with somebody, especially if I, if I have any idea that, that that's going to be really important to them, I'll, I'll assign them to someone that I know is going to be able to speak their language. Um, when they're talking about referencing scripture or they're talking about that sort of thing um, for them to be able to know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of my people are trained to be sensitive to people's faith and supportive, um, but they may not be able to follow. So that means the client might need to educate that clinician a little bit more um, on kind of what they mean. Um, but none of us went to seminary school. So we can't provide Christian counseling per se, um, but it is, you know, uh, you know, you have like basically a well-qualified, I would consider myself a family psychologist who also personally is a, is a man that's devout about his faith. Great. You uh, mentioned, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say you mentioned um, young folk working with young folk. And one of the things that inspired us to do the show is our aspiration to bridge the gaps between our generation, baby boomers and Gen Z millennials and so forth. So much we don't understand so much. We don't, you know, know, recognize we speak different languages, different technologies and so forth. And you mentioned uh, that part of your practice is, is working with young folks. Have you seen differences in what affects adults as to what affects young people specifically during this pandemic? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking about Gen Zers, um, when you say young folks, I mean, I think that, I mean, I have some Gen Z, you know, at least one in my house. Um, I, I think my baby girl might be like Gen Y, I think. I think is that the next one? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, they have about a four year age gap and I think my oldest just barely makes the cut, the cut for the Gen Zers. Um, but just hearing some of the things that she's experiencing and seeing, especially us going through the election cycle, um, just seeing it through her eyes and seeing her having a lot of questions and just, you know, there's a lot of confusion, you know, just not understanding like why people are reacting and, you know, um, just um, just all of the conflict um, and then seeing things um, on the news or hearing 
you know, um, her mom and I talking about just some of the things that we're noticing um, that's going on with, you know, Mod Arbery and, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, just the countless uh, different, na- you know, folks that have been victims of police brutality and violence. Um, it's, it's, you know, while she's studying American history, <laughs> in eighth grade, Who's history? Right? and learning about slavery and learning about the Civil War. And, you know, um, I think that they're seeing a lot of stuff brand new compared to the, uh, you know, compared to the older generation. Right. And they're they're kind of really curious, but also a little confused because it's like, right. you know, like, why can't y'all just let it go? Why, why does it have to be all this? Um, and if our Texas uh, government has its say, it'll be banned from uh, from our history teaching. But that's another story for another day. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> we've got you know, Governor Abbott just recently um, said, well, you know, you don't have you know, you can't make people wear their masks at school. So, I mean, my kids, you know, I mean, uh, we were we were on them like, look, if you're going to go to school, you've got to wear your mask. You've got to be careful. And it's, this is not about you. This is about your grandparents. This is about uh-huh. other people. Like this is, you know, um, and so to see the leader of their state, like step out and say, eh, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, they're like, um, like, you know, what happened to <laughs> caring about people? Right. Um, what about taking extra precautions to make sure we're safe? Like what's right. up with that? Right. You know, and I think the challenge that we have as parents is trying to explain the politics and and the reasons that he might have, but it's like I'm I'm I got nothing for you, kid. I'm right. (laughs) Right. Well, I actually I I talked with someone the other day um, who has a 15 year old, and Mm -hmm. one of the concerns that they have, especially with the pandemic, is their child was already a little antisocial. I mean, that has a negative connotation. They were just kind of withdrawn to themselves and so forth. And, and she feels like her 15 year old is now even more so because of the pandemic, even to the point where um, she thinks there may be some depression there um, or anxiety. And how do we, how do we tell parents or, or, or how would you not trying to get free of vice here, but, but how would you tell parents, you know, what to look out for how to, how to identify things like that? Um, electronics, how much time are they spending on their phones, on video games? Um, I mean, is that, that is a challenge that we have, um, sometimes with our, our girls in terms of just, um, making sure that they're staying active and limiting their time on screens, um, you know, period. And, and, and I, I would say that, you know, the adults have to, the example, it's one thing to tell your kids to get off the screens and another thing for them to see that because they're going to do what they see more than they're going to do what they hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, but are you willing to do it with him? Um, the, you know, re- referencing the 15 year old, I, I would, if he really has a hard time socializing, if he really has a hard time, like not being aloof or, or, or withdrawn, um, then I might want to use my relationship with him to try to like require him to interact with me Mm. and let's go do something that's active, that's social. 
um, even if it's just the two of us to just sort of start working on building that by like brick by brick. So it's just going to be me and you, and it might be me, you and someone else. And maybe we might have like a friend or we might kind of create some sort of situation where you're in a social situation with me kind of not too far away to kind of provide some support so that when you kind of want to shy away, I can just kick you back in play, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and kind of coach you, you know, to kind of like sit in that because I think the reality is, is that people aren't robots. So I can, I give my daughters, especially my 13 year old, I give her strategies on how to deal with certain situations that she'll come home and tell me about and talk about how she could have responded to it differently. Um, and the, like the stuff that I give her, I know it will work most of the time, but I can't promise that it will work every time because you know, you don't know how people are going to react and respond. And so I, I say, well, okay, but here's the decision tree. Like if, if they do this then you need to do this. And if they say this, then you need to come back with that. And, and if, and in some situations you just need to like, just be like, okay, dude, like whatever. And just move it on. Like, cause it's not worth going back and forth mm-hmm. and trying to make, because I'm not there. I, she's got to learn how to build that discernment and that ability to make that judgment. You know, so while I give her those strategies um, to help her to navigate those situations, and I probably got to go into my prayer closet and go, God, (laughs) please, God, to help her to use that stuff so it doesn't look, you know, like, so she doesn't come back and be like, you told me, and (laughs) that was a disaster. Funny how they do that, right? Right. But you said. Right. But but every now and then, I mean, you you just got to pull out the parent card, right? Right. Don't do what I do. Don't worry about all of that. Do what I say. Right, right, right. So, Kevin, I got a few single friends that have had it particularly rough during the pandemic because they're, they're single. Now they're isolated. Yeah. You talking about me, Mike? No, I'm not talking about you, bro. Okay. You good. All right. <laughs> Leave me off the couch this time, okay? Right, right, right. All right. I'm not getting on the couch. That's enough. That's the next show. <laughs> but my question is, how do you, okay, if I'm a single person, I live alone, I've been quarantined for a year, even though we're coming out of that right now. Hopefully. How do I identify that I need help when I'm in the midst of dealing with depression or anxiety, but I might not understand that that's what's mm, happening right so for single people in those situations what is your advice to them until we can begin socializing again how do how do people do that that doesn't how, include alcohol right <laughs> or you know other things actually i have i have um mm, I have a handful of people on my caseload personally, and I know even more of them throughout my practice that are being served by other docs on my team that are uh, in counseling right now, um, weekly or biweekly, just as a touch point to have someone to talk to through this, through this time. Um, And you know, I mean, it's clinically relevant because if they if they didn't have their therapist, they 
would get very depressed because that I, we're social beings. We're not designed to be alone. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, and so even if you're an introvert, um, that time being like to, to yourself and to your, you know, with your own thoughts is, you know, usually eventually gets really unhealthy. Um, you know, and so I've, I've polled people and had, like had some fun with that in regards to noticing that a lot of the introverts are like, I'm good office. I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> right. Um, you know, they're like happy. Um, but even those introverts, as time has gone on, um, have, have a lot of them have experienced just, um, you know, that withdrawal and that lack of connection and um, a deficit in regards to just having someone to kind of provide that emotional support. Right. And so therapy is one way to do that in regards to, although a lot of therapists are experiencing high volumes right now, so it it may take a little while to get in with the really good ones. Um, um, But the, the other alternative is to just try to like connect with friends as much as possible, you know, to, um, you know, create, I mean, there's all kinds of chat groups and, different types of stuff like that, but just right. trying to get that social interaction virtually, I would strongly recommend that just, just so that you're not, um, you know, to yourself too long. Right. Um, you know, and say like doing, trying to take steps to give yourself promise of light at the end of the tunnel, you know, whether it be if you're, if you're you know, getting the vaccine so that you um, don't have to worry about it. Um, your body having such a, uh, you know, like don't have to live in so much fear of, of your body uh, having a bad reaction to getting COVID or, um, and then maybe you can start taking some baby steps towards like getting out of the house a little bit more. Right. Cause I was actually like that in the beginning. I was like, Oh, I can, this is cool. I don't got to deal with no one. I don't got to constantly watch what I say, watch what I do. Get you know, delivered. I just get up on my flip flops and my shorts and a dress shirt and, yep. and I'm cool. But, you know, as time went on, you know, the, the, uh, the words of the, the great philosopher, uh, Luther Vandross kept coming to mind, you know, I'm not meant to be alone. Oh Lord. You know, uh, anyway, <laughs> let me not go there. But you know, we, we tend to forget isolation is used as punishment in prison. Wow. Yeah. You know, and you got to ask her why. Wow. That's if, a good if being isolated was cool, prisons mm. wouldn't do that. You that's know, true. Very true. And, Very I, true. and I'm like you, I was like, I don't have to see anybody. Right. Got my Amazon. I got my right. DoorDash. I'm good. But then as time went on, I found myself <laughs> once a week just crying out of the blue. Really? Yeah. Can we explore that a little more, Mike? No, I'd have to. Give, I'm gonna have to make an appointment with Kevin. You're make an appointment with Kevin. Okay. Yeah, man. I need to unpack some stuff. I can. I can see a coffee commercial and just break down. <laughs> well, so <laughs> for you is for me it's it's frustration. Right. It's like every 72 hours or so, I just I like get tense. Right. Like you know, like I should be doing more or something else I need to be doing doing um that's interesting yeah yeah so kevin if you could rank some of the 
situations you're treating in your practice. What would be like the top three things people are dealing with?